I have some very good news. Philippians 1 verse 6 says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to keep what I have entrusted unto him until that day, the day of judgment. God will complete his work in you if you're trusted in Christ. Romans chapter 8 verses 31 through 34 says this, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will we not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who shall lay any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding or praying for us. Christ prays for his people. I have good news. The one who holds us, holds us secure. John chapter 10, verse 28 to 30 says this. Christ says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. If you've trusted Christ, you're in the hand of the Father. No one can snatch you from his hand. I have good news that as, as we go strong and run the race and run with grace and dignity and obedience, we encourage those around us. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 9 and 10. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the happiness or the joy that we feel for your sake before God as we pray most earnestly day and night that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. What happiness you bring us as you live before God. Or Romans chapter 16 and verse 19. Listen, for your obedience is known to all so that I am glad or rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. You bring us joy by your obedience. So, so, so we're secure, and as we walk in obedience, we bring joy to those around us. As we see the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of those around us, we, we are glad, and we want to sing and celebrate and embrace and laugh. And, and yet, listen to me. Within the context of the message of the Scripture, there is this understanding that I'm going to deal with out of Second Peter today. And the understanding is this, that believers who are truly born again can become forgetful, and they can become amnesiacs, and they can become distracted, and they can stumble. There are others who are laser-focused, who are centered on the greatness of Christ, who do not stumble and who will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So, so we, we stand at something of a, a crossroads all the time as believers. And I'm talking about people who are in Christ and they're secure in Christ. And the crossroads looks something like this that we'll see in 2 Peter chapter 1. For example, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, Paul gives incredible imagery when he says that there is a foundation that is laid in Christ and we build upon that foundation. And, and he, says, he says this, starting in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a, a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care, be very careful, how he builds. There's only one foundation, and that's Christ. So he says, these are believers. They have the foundation of Christ. But he says there, there are two different types of believers. One builds with wood, hay, and straw, and the other with gold, silver, and costly stones. And he says this, verse 13. Each day's each one's work will become manifest on the day of judgment because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. And, and the picture is this, that, that some people live with with focus upon Christ, they live to his glory, and they build with gold, silver, and costly stones. And, and on the day of judgment, they hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But other people build with wood, hay, and straw. And, and the Bible says they're saved. But they're saved as the house that they've lived in and built crashes down around their ears because it's wood, hay, and straw. That's why in Six chapters later in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says this. He says, I, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul says, I don't want to become lethargic and blind and become an amnesiac regarding the greatness of Christ, but I want to go strong until the end. And so that's why this passage in 1 Peter about how the Lord changes us is, is so glorious. And I'm going to give you the 3,000-foot level this morning, deal with more of it next week in the next paragraph in this passage. But, but let me just read this to you. This is 2 Peter 1, verses 1 to 10. Peter's writing to a small persecuted church in Asia Minor, uh, what we call an encyclic or a general letter. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us very great and precious promises so that through them, we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by its evil desires. And then he talks about character development. Next week, go to verse 8. If these qualities, these nine qualities he mentions, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind and 
He's forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, be all the more eager or diligent to make your calling and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so once again, Peter's saying we stand at a crossroads. If we build on the reality of Christ, and if that's the central motivating factor of our life, then we go to a place of we don't fall or stumble to bring disrepute upon the cause of Christ. We receive a rich welcome to eternal glory. We're fruitful and productive in the Lord. If we do not do these things, we become nearsighted and blind, and we have a state of forgetfulness regarding the cleansing of our sins. And see, what I'm going to say this morning is God, by His Holy Spirit, wants to change us. And that is glorious if we run to Him, or it can be forgetful. Now, when Paul says, or Peter says here in verse, verse 9, he says, he says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. So I think saying forgotten is what I would call apostolic hyperbole. In other words, he's overstating the case to make a point. We use hyperbole all the time. We say, if you're seven years old, Christmas will never get here. That's hyperbole. Christmas does get here. Or we say his, his teeth were so white that his smile was blinding. Well, that just means he had a great smile. Or we say that that, that, that offensive lineman was big as a moose. Well, a moose weighs 1,200 to 1,500 pounds. I mean, there's not, I mean, not that big. It's hyperbole. I think when he's saying here, they've forgotten, it's an overstatement. We don't forget we've been cleansed from our sins. We do the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body. We quote the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So if you're a believer, you don't forget that your sins have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. What I think he means here is that when you forget, the, the, the ruling thought of your life, the central thought of your life is not the greatness and glory of the forgiveness of sins by Jesus on the cross for your sins. It's part of the worldview, but it's not the central motif. It's not the central issue of the worldview. And it says when you forget, you have amnesia. You lose your power. And, and you stumble if it's not the controlling thought. And see, that, that's, see if, if I'm going to be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, I've got to be centered on the greatness and the majesty and the grandeur and the wonder of Jesus. Now, just recently, the National Safety Council, I think this will help explain it. The National Safety Council in this country has said that, quote, distracted walking, close quote, has become a national hazard. Distracted walking is walking in public, looking at technological devices, which can lead to injurious issues or death. They talked about the number of people that are in the ER because they do their mobile device and they step into a pothole or the number of people that have been hit and killed in, in major intersections because they're not paying attention. They're on their mobile device. Went on to say that, that 54% of all drivers have either hit something or someone because they're on their mobile device. That's a lot. They estimate that in a busy intersection in every major U.S. city that 50% of the people crossing the road, 50%, are on a mobile device. 
And I would say that's only 50% because a lot of them are over 60. If it's 35 and under, it's more like 80%. And, and so the issue, they come up with a new word. They say, do not be a pedestrian text, pedestrian, because it can lead to all types of damage. See, to me, that's what Peter's saying here. A pedestrian is someone who's, who's there, but he's not centered on the message of Christ. He's forgetful. He or she is distracted. And, and they can stumble. They can fall in a pothole, break their ankle, twist their knee. A pedestrian. I think that's what he's talking about. And so I want to look at this passage, the 3,000, 10,000 foot view, and, and, and kind of turn the sermon outline around and say, how do we avoid forgetfulness or how do we avoid amnesia? Number one, verse one. Peter writes, as a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who attained a faith of equal standing or a faith as equally privileged as ours. Just stop there for a second. This is incredible. What Peter's saying is that, is that we have a faith, the church at North, a faith that's equally privileged or equal standing with the ap- apostolic message, the, the apostles. So, so the same Holy Spirit that made Simon into a Peter and saw the persecutor of the church into Paul works in our lives as well. The same spirit of the living God that changed the life of a Calvin or an Edwards or a Whitfield or a Carey is at work in our lives as well. Hear that. If, If we do not understand that change happens and change is God's design for us, then the Christian faith church can become a, a nice part of a wonderful worldview, but it's not the dynamic, full-orbed, pulsating relationship that we should have with the Trinitarian God. God wants to change us, make our lives more like his. I was reading Acts chapter 4, just thinking about it, and in Acts 3, Peter and John go into the temple, and there is a man there who's been crippled all of his life, and he asks for money, and Peter looks at him and he says, uh, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man walked. And the big crowd gathered around them, and Peter preaches the gospel of grace, and he majors on the resurrection of Christ and creates an incredible tumult. And the next day, he and John are hauled be- before the ruling council with all the leaders there. This erudite Jewish council made up of the leaders of their culture. And let me just read part of it to you. So they came to this council, and it says, The next day, uh, verse 5, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family, all, all of them, all of them. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power... Or by what name did you do this? How dare you heal this man? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. 
This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And then he said this great statement. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And this is how they responded. When they saw the boldness and the courage of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and common men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I just love that. They, they saw them as unschooled, uneducated, common guys, but they'd been with Jesus. And early in the passage, verse 6, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. I just thought, the same Holy Spirit that moved and motivated and changed and worked in the church in the day of the apostles lives and moves among us. And God wants to change us. And if we don't have that sense of expectation that God is moving or God wants to change us, God wants to work, then I, I fear the Christian faith can become only a wonderful philosophical, ideological worldview instead of the pulsating dynamic relationship that God calls us to. I was thinking about a guy, about a guy named John Wesley who died around 1800, started Methodism in England, and John Wesley goes to a place called Newcastle on the Tyne. And he said this. He wrote this in his journal. He said, never have I been in a place where there is so much whoredom, drunkenness, cursings, and lawlessness. Period. New paragraph. This place is ripe to hear about the gospel of the grace of Jesus. I thought, I'd probably write, I've never been in a place with so many immoral people and drunks and swindlers and thieves and, and general lawlessness. I'm getting out of here. No. Expectation. God wants to work in our lives. I, this summer I had the privilege of representing our church at two missions conferences, one in Thailand, one was in Dubai, but the conference in Dubai was with uh, cross-cultural workers, missionaries, about 150 adults. Probably 70% of them from the nation of Afghanistan. Serving in difficult places representing Christ. Met one man who was a surgeon in a particular calling. And he and his wife in their late 50s had five grandchildren all in the Dallas area. And yet they're in Afghanistan. And they have to haul water into their home three months out of the year. It's just a tough place. But they run a clinic and a school for the blind, and they rejoice in what God is doing. And every missionary I talk to, almost without exception, when they get their testimony, says something like this. This is hard, but we believe that God is doing something tremendous, and the gospel is going to burst open in the Islamic Arab world in the very near future. Expectation. And they would say that, that in large part keeps us anchored here in a place of, of toughness. And I, I'm, I'm just saying this, that, that if we are to escape gospel amnesia and be used of God and, and be changed or changed, we, we've got to be people who say we have received a faith of equal standing or like precious faith as the apostles did and God wants to work in our lives. And this week, I, I observed the death date of this man John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe died in uh, 1384 on December the 31st. John Wycliffe was a religious leader in England. 
a priest, and he had a passion to translate the Bible from Latin into the vernacular English so that people could read the Word and be changed by the Word because it says the Word of God changes people. And the established church didn't like it, but he did it, and he gave the Bible to the English-speaking world. It's an amazing story. And John Wycliffe said this. He said, don't you ever, ever, ever trust anything but the righteousness of Christ given on the cross for your sin, way ahead of the Reformation. John Wycliffe. He died of some type of stroke, we think, in his late 50s, in 1384. Listen, in, in 14 and 15, the church declared him to be a heretic. 1514, 15, which is what, uh, 30 years later almost. And then in 1428, they decided to dig his bones up out of consecrated ground, grind them to dust, and sprinkle them in the river. you got to be pretty ticked off at somebody, you know, some 40 years after they're dead to dig up their bones because he was faithful unto God. He just was faithful. And he believed the word of God could change people. I read recently about this man from Cuba. His, his name is Armando Valanderas. Armando Valanderas was a prisoner in Cuba for 22 years, from 1960 to 1982. Because he didn't agree with the revolution under Fidel Castro and because he was a Christian. And he was in a cell close to the place where they would execute prisoners. And he said day after day he would hear prisoners scream out before they were shot, Long live King Jesus. Boom. Until finally the authorities decided to just gag people before they were shot and they couldn't scream out. He was in solitary confinement month after month in such a way I didn't know if it was daylight or, 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 or night. He said after 15 years, 15 years, he was brought into a single room with a prison official. And the, the man said, Armando, we have no qualm with you. You've been here 15 years. We will let you go if you'll just look at me mano to mano and say that we were right and you were wrong. That's it. You walk out of here within, within 24 hours, you're gone. Freedom. And he said, I can't do it. He said, why? There's just you and me. He said, you don't realize I'll have to live with myself. And you were not right. You were wrong. And he said, you're an idiot. And he stormed out of the room. He was there for seven more years. Sure that? And, and he said this, he said, when I was in solitary confinement, I never asked the Lord to get me out of prison. I asked the Lord to give me the grace to stand up under the strain. And I, I just thought, we have the same Holy Spirit that these men have to live unto the Lord. The Holy Spirit who wants to change us. Change is possible. Number two, the power to change is fed by living on Scripture, by pondering it and, 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 and making it part of our lives. Listen to this verse. This is one of the most incredible verses in all of Scripture. I think 2 Peter 1, it says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his glory and his goodness. We have everything we need from the Lord. Through these, his calling, his glory, and his goodness, through these he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them... Through the promises, you may participate in the divine nature, become like Christ. 
And number two, continuously escape the strangulation of a fallen world that sucks the marrow out of your bones. Uh, just step back. Through these promises, we participate, we become like Christ, we participate in the divine nature, and we escape the corruption in the world that is caused by evil desires. Unbelievable. And so, so I, change happens as I'm awestruck by the greatness of Christ, and I drink and breathe and think and long for these promises. I want to recommend a book to you. It's called Ah. A-W-E by Paul David Tripp. I'm just going to read a paragraph to you. It's about being stunned continuously by the greatness and the glory of Jesus. He says this. Here's the battle, the big bad danger that lurks in the shadows of the life of every pastor. This is about Christians too. The danger is Familiarity. Familiarity tends to blind our eyes and dull our senses. What once produced awe in us now barely gets our attention. This is the great danger in gospel living. So you must commit yourself to being humbly vigilant You must start every day focusing the eyes of your heart on the stunning glory of God and his amazing, life-transforming grace. You must resist allowing familiarity to replace divine glory with the ministry mandate. He says, you know, he asks this, are you in awe of the greatness and the majesty and the grandeur of Christ? I've been a believer since I was 19. It's been a long time. And I ask myself, you know, I, I, I've, got self, I've, I've got to be stunned by the greatness and the power and the majesty and the goodness of Christ. I've, I've, I've got to be. I've, I've got to be in awe of what he's done for me. Uh, that he, by the Spirit, wants to change me and use me. Are you stunned by the greatness of Christ, by his glory? Or do these things just become familiar? And that's why he, has, he says you have to humbly come before God and say, God, by your Holy Spirit, energize my heart. Or as Paul writes in 2 Timothy, stir yourselves up. Stir yourself up, Timothy, before God. Stir yourself up. Stunned. And, and that's just a real quick word on parenting. I, my kids are grown and they're a true delight. But you know, when you, when you grow up with your kids, one of the issues that you really think about is, I just want my kids to do the right thing. Or as I would sometimes say to my son, as we get, went to a public arena, please don't embarrass me. You know, you know? And please. You know? and, uh, but, but as Christian parents, listen, our primary goal should not be that our kids do the right thing. Our primary goal should be, may my children be stunned by the beauty and the majesty of God. As you look at the starry night, just say, man, look at those stars. How far is, as, you, as you see a, a beautiful horse gallop across the pasture, you see the, a, a little puppy lick your face. As you see the miracle of birth and say, look at the wonder of a creator God and behold the majesty of the cross. And do the right thing. But, 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 but parents... 
we should pray and labor that they see the majesty and the greatness of Christ as they look at our lives and see our desire to change and be conformed and to think about the promises of God. Number, number three, we must embrace and understand personal responsibility. Verse 11, for, for in this way, if you live this way, you'll be richly welcomed into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you live this way, build the foundation, gold, silver, costly stones. If you live this way, you live with a stewardship mindset that I'm responsible before the Lord. If, if you live this way, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, eternity awaits. And, and, and we'll hopefully hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You're faithful unto the things that you were committed to. You lived out the reality of Christ. Well done. Rich welcome. Rich welcome. See, one of the greatest lies of our culture is your life doesn't count. You're just part of the moving herd. You're just part of the general populace. Your life counts for eternity. There are people in your life that only you can reach. There are callings in your life that are unique to you in your sphere of influence. Your life counts. I was moved reading the story about this man recently. He died, reading about people who died this year. He died on December the 2nd. His name is uh, George Taro Sakato, died at age 94. George Taro Sakato was a second-generation Japanese-American. His mom and dad came over in the 1920s from Japan, settled in California, had five boys. He was the fifth of five boys. When Pearl Harbor was bombed, they heard rumors about Asian-Americans being forced into internment camps, and so they moved to Arizona to escape that, and they did. And George grew up as a very physically weak child. He said every time some type of sickness came through, pneumonia came through, he, he got it. So he was very slight of build. He was only 5'4". And so when the war started, he turned 18, he volunteered right away in every branch. And they all said, we're not taking Asian Americans. And finally, in late 1943, the Army said, okay, we'll take you. And George Taro... Sakato became an infantryman. And he said in basic training, he couldn't scale the wall you had to scale. So he looked around. When nobody was looking, he just ran around it. <laughs> he said he'd go on a hike with his, or a, a, a march with his contemporaries. And sometimes his friends would carry his backpack and theirs because he says, I just, I just wasn't physically able to do it. But he ended up going to a place called France and a place called Normandy. And his unit was storming a German machine gun nest. And his friend looked up, and his friend caught a bullet and died in his arms. And George said, something came over me, and I jumped out of the foxhole with only a pistol. And I started firing at the German machine gun. And then I picked up the rifle of a dead German soldier and started firing it into the machine gun. And he killed 12 Germans, and he captured four, and then he and a couple other men captured 34 Germans in France in 1944. He says, all these men came out waving white flags to surrender. He was highly decorated. His captain strongly recommended him for the Congressional Medal of Honor. But because he was an Asian American, he was denied until the year 2000 when the Army was reviewing records and they gave a report to President Clinton and recommended that George Taro Sakato 
received the Congressional Medal of Honor. And in the year 2000, at the age of 83, he received the Congressional Medal of Honor. And he said this. He says, I am wearing this around my neck, but I'm wearing it for my friends who did not come home. I thought, you know, here's a five-foot-four, slightly built, fifth child, which means if you're the youngest child and five boys, guess who was the brunt of all the jokes? Number five. The fifth child, slightly built, sickly. He could have easily said, you know, I just, I don't think I can do this in a country that terribly mistreated Asian Americans in, the, in World War II. They've mistreated my people. But no, he said, in, in my heart of hearts, I'm an American more than anything else. And he volunteered and he volunteered and he volunteered. No, he never bought into the lie, your life doesn't count. When he was in a foxhole on D-Day, he didn't say, my life doesn't count. I'm just one of hundreds of thousands of soldiers. His life counted. And I thought, I I've got to be a person who says, I know that my life can make a difference. I know that God wants to change me very quickly. Number four, if, I, if I'm going to change, I've got to glory in the joy and the happiness of an obedient faith. Listen, listen to some of these happy passages in this text alone. It says, you've received a faith that's of equal standing with the apostles. You have been saved by the righteousness of Jesus on the cross. You, you've been given Great and precious, or grace and peace has been multiplied into your life lavishly. You've escaped the corruption of the world. You have received the divine promises. You will never fall. Glory and the joy of an obedient life. And, and as you do that, listen, this, here's my, my challenge to you. Is in the next couple of weeks, I want us to pray and think, how does the Lord want you to change this year? How does the Lord want you to change to honor him and to glory him and to be his person this year, 2016. See, but my prayer is, is, is I don't want to be this year what I was like last year. I want the Holy Spirit to change me. I've got four broad goals I'm thinking through in my mind. I want to, be, I want to change. Because the same faith that changed Simon to Peter is, is our faith. It's a faith of equal standing, equal ability. The, 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 my life, your life counts. If we live this way, we will not stumble and fall. We will be productive in the Lord, and we will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's good news. And that's where I'm going to live. Well, let's pray, okay? Lord, we thank you uh, for this word of God. Um, thank you that through our calling and understanding of Scripture, you've given us your divine promise, promises so that we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Thank you for that. Thank you for so much of the heartache and the misplaced priorities and the, the, the unfulfilled dreams and the wishful longings of the world have been eclipsed by the cross of Jesus, by the hope of heaven. So, so, Lord, change us and move in our lives and speak to us. I pray that your kingdom would come, Lord, in our lives this year, in this church this year. May your kingdom come, we, we plead. So give us of yourself, we pray. Dear Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you.